This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, my beautiful mixed cousins out there. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom podcaster in this podcasting gang. I think we're in week four of the quarantine. I'm, I'm kind of off because I technically only had one day of quarantine. I thought I was going into quarantine last week when you last heard me speak. Um, but I was actually only off Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then I went back to work on Tuesday and I've been back to work ever since. I could actually use the break, though. To be honest, it is, it's been pretty draining this last week working during the quarantine. There's fewer of us every day. Um, Everybody's energy is really low. And because I am in human resources for a school, it's requiring me to learn a lot about the emergency bills that are being passed and how they impact employers so that we can care for employees. And all the while, I'm still just a temp and I have to work because I'm paid hourly and uh, it is starting to really be draining to putting all this effort into a company that I don't know if I'm going to be working at after the quarantine um, is really starting to get me down. So my energy is getting lower and lower every day that I work through the quarantine. And I think my coworkers are also getting pretty down as well because there's just so much work to do and eh, everything's changing every day. So I've been pretty drained, pretty down. Um, people who do follow my social media might have seen that I've been pretty down this week. Um, but I'm trying to be in a better mood today. I didn't start out today in a very good mood, but I am a little bit more upbeat right now because I did just get done finishing editing the episode you're about to hear. And my guest today's energy is so, and apologies for the use of this word, infectious, that you can't help but be happy when you talk to him. So I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you. Before I do that, though, I do have a few things to share. I just want to remind you all that up until April 10th, the Militantly Mixed Enamel Logo Pin giveaway is still up. So between now and then, if you haven't already, call in to our Skype voice line, 323-545-6001, or record a voice memo on your phone and email it to Charmaine at militantlymixed.com. S is in Sam, H-A-R, M is in Mary, A, N is in Nancy, E, at militantlymixed.com. Answering the question, what do you love most about being mixed? If you listen to the show, it's probably one of your favorite parts of the episode as it is mine. Basically, when I started asking this question, I, I never know from person to person what's going to be the thing that affects them the most about their own mixedness. And I've heard a variety of different aspects of, you know, the fluidity of mixedness, the access to multiple cultures, the ability to communicate with people from different backgrounds because of your own 
family upbringing with multiple ethnicities and, and cultures. And I'm always looking forward to this question. But now I want to hear from you. And if it takes off, I can probably start including them in every episode, a couple a couple people's responses every week. But for now, we're just doing it as a, as a giveaway. Call in or send me a voice memo answering the question, what do you love most about being mixed and be entered to win the enamel pin? But for the first 10 people that enter, regardless of if you win or not, win, quotation fingers, because I'm just going to mix everybody's name in a hat and pull it out. If you are of the first 10 people, you are automatically going to receive a militantly mixed mini button, which is also a logo, but it's not the enamel pin. It's a mini button. It's about one inch button. It's dope. It's what I've had since the beginning. It was the first kind of swag that I've had. Um, And I just got a new fresh order in. So if you are one of the first 10 people who enter, I will send you one of those mini pins in addition to drawing a name out of the hat and sending that person an enamel button. I said that backwards. Mini button or enamel pin. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, so again, Charmaine at militantlymix.com with a voice memo or calling into the Skype line 323-545-6001. That information is also in the show notes in case you are trying to listen and write it down at the same time. You can just go to the show notes and it's right there. And I'm looking forward to hearing your responses. So next week's episode is when I will play the messages that people send in. All right, that's announcement number one. Uh, Announcement number two, if you've been listening, but you haven't participated yet in the social distancing virtual hangouts that we've been doing every Sunday, they are awesome. And honestly, it has been such a helpful aspect of this quarantine. Even though I'm not as quarantined as most of the people that have been participating, It is still something I get to look forward to every week because every day when I have to go to work, I'm not looking forward to anything. I'm really just waiting until the day's over so I can get back home and and feel kind of calm and safe. But this is something I get to look forward to every week now. It takes place at 10 a.m. Pacific time from my time zone, uh, which is 1 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. in the UK GMT time and 8 p.m. East African time. Uh, That's the broadest sort of time zone thing that I can kind of hit. If you are in Australia or deeper in Asia and you want to participate, but those times don't work out for you as well, let me know and I will do another one, which I'll do later in my day, which will be earlier in y'all's day so that you can participate as well. I'm not kidding. This has been so helpful. And every week it grows a little bit more. And it's so wonderful getting to see all those mixed race faces on my screen, chatting with me about mixedness and life in general. If you're feeling isolated in general, it's at least a social outlet. If you're feeling isolated in your mixedness, this is a place where you are not going to feel isolated in your mixedness because you're going to see a bunch of beautiful mixed faces staring right back at you. You're going to see crossover between you. You're going to you're going to have similarities. You're going to learn something about the things you're not similar over. It's just been so awesome. And I really do hope that I'm able to keep those up after life goes back to normal, but definitely we'll be keeping it up during the quarantine. So if you want to participate in that, I have been posting the link on Twitter and Instagram in addition to Facebook, but I think because of the recent news this last week where people have been hacking into people's uh, Zoom accounts to spew hate speech and stuff like that. I want to keep this as private between the military mixed listeners as possible. So I'm only going to post the actual link in the Facebook private group. So that way it's protected. So the only way to be in the mixed race private group 
is to join there. You answer one question, you, you get accepted into the group, and that's where the actual link will sit. For the Facebook public page, just the, the, the show's page, I'll put the event there, but I won't put the link there because I want to try to keep this as you know, safe as possible for, for everybody involved. And if you are not on Facebook, which I know some of y'all aren't, um, but you do follow the Instagram or the Twitter, just send me a DM through either of those platforms and I will send you the link directly if you want to participate. Just because the last thing I want is for us to be using this space as an encouraging, you know, get out of isolation kind of moment only to have someone come in from the outside and start some drama. It hasn't happened once yet, but seeing the news of this last week, it makes me feel like I just want to protect us a little bit more. So you can either email me or slide into my DMs and I will send you the link. Or if you are already a member of the Facebook private group, you can get access to the link directly. And I think that'll be the safest bet. I had also been posting it in the show notes. I'm going to stop doing that as well. I will just remind you how to get to the event page, but uh, in the show notes, but I'm just going to keep that link as private as possible so that I can protect us as best as I can. Okay. One more shout out or one more thing to hype. And then I'll talk about today's episode. (laughs) You may have seen that the CDC did announce that they do recommend that we all use a face covering if we go outside. Mind you, this using a face covering when you go outside doesn't guarantee you will not get exposed or not contract the coronavirus. But what it does do is just reduce the spreading from yourself, from your own self. So when you're speaking, there's natural spittle and droplets that fly out of your mouth. There's breath and things like that. You're shooting this stuff out every time you speak. And if you do have coronavirus, but you may be asymptomatic and you don't realize it, you could be talking at somebody and even if they're within three feet or beyond or six feet or beyond, you might be hitting them with some of your droplets, infecting them without your knowledge. So what the masks are actually more for is to protect you from giving it to somebody. So it's going to catch that the major spittles that are kind of coming out of your mouth when you speak. And it's extra protection if you're able to put a filter in it or anything like that or whatever. Uh, so it's not, re- like I said, it's not recommended as a way to prevent you from catching it, but it is recommended as a way to reduce you from spreading it. And you you may think that they're the same thing, but they're they're really not. And you can go to the CDC website to learn a little bit more about that. But the reason why I'm talking about that is because a former guest of Militantly Mixed, Sonia Smith-Kang, she, she owns Mixed Race Clothing, which is a clothing company for mixed race children. And she pairs, say, a, a cultural design with a different cultural print, such as, say, an Asian top with a Latin or African fabric or a, you know, a Latin top with a Asian or African fabric, you know, something like that. Basically, every outfit or every um, piece of clothing that mixed up clothing produces has some kind of a story, a multicultural story to it. And this is something that that Sonia has been doing for a few years now. She has also been a major player in Mask, which is the multiracial Americans of Southern California. She is responsible for. Uh, the Dodger Stadium here in Los Angeles having a mixed race day. She does a lot of work for mixed race people. If you go back to her episode, which is Each One Teach One from 2018, uh, you'll get to hear all the things that she's out there doing for us out in the world. But 
her clothing company does have remnant fabrics and she's been using those remnant fabrics to create the face masks. And what Mix Up Clothing has been doing is they've been using the remnant fabrics to create the face masks, which are the CDC approved face masks. They have a pocket in it so that you can insert a filter if you, if you need to. They are machine washable so you can keep yourself safe out in the world. And they've been donating some of them to medical professionals as you know, ex- extras if they're out of or limited in their N95 masks. What they're doing is they're selling those on their website. And for every one you purchase, one is donated to a medical professional. So if you need a face mask, I'm recommending that you go to Mix Up Clothing, which the link will be in the show notes, to purchase one of those masks. Because not only are you purchasing one for yourself and your own safety, but for every one you purchase, a medical professional is also getting one. So that's two reasons why that's an important place to purchase them. The third awesome aspect of this is that you'll be supporting a mixed race business, which you know I'm all about. I'm always trying to hype whatever it is that we're out there doing. So if you can, um, if you need one anyway, I recommend that you do go directly to Mixed Up Clothing to purchase one. Not only will you be supporting a mixed race business, but you'll be supporting a medical professional and you'll be protecting yourself as well. Again, please go to the CDC or the World Health Organization's website and get your information directly from those places or places where there is a medical health professional providing the information. Try not to use the general internet as your resource for tips and tricks on how to prevent yourself from getting sick. And please do not listen to the portions of the administration, especially here in the U.S., of the administration's health briefings, because as you can tell, it is a major contradiction when the non-health officials are speaking versus when the politicians are speaking. Politicians are not going to save your life. Medical professionals could. So that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) But um, go to the show notes and click on the link for mixed up clothing so that you can get your um, your face mask that way. And as soon as I get mine, I did order some for my household last week. And as soon as I get them, I will post mine on, on Instagram and Facebook so that you can check those out as well. And I think that's all my announcements. I'm still hitting 16 minutes. So whatever, I apologize, but it is what it is. You know, I like to talk a lot. Okay. So my guest this week is Jay, and he is one of the original participants in our social distancing virtual hangouts when I started on a whim about a month ago. Jay joins us from the state of Virginia. He is a university student at University of Virginia, which is known as UVA, and he is also one of the founders, the main founder of the Mixed Race Student Coalition at his university, which is a pretty big deal. I know not all universities yet have mixed race coalitions, though universities are really known for their ethnic and cultural heritage clubs. Many schools still do not have mixed race groups. The only other one that I'm personally familiar with is UCLA. And I'm familiar with that because I was supposed to be a speaker at the Mixed Race Heritage Festival this year in May. But of course, with coronavirus, that got canceled. But what Jay is is doing with his executive team for the Mixed Race Student Coalition is providing a community space to service the mixed race community at the university, which is a very big deal. And I'm so excited that a young man of his age, about 21 years old, is out there doing that kind of work for his community. It makes me so happy. And you'll hear it in his voice. He's you cannot help but smile when you talk to Jay. Uh, He did share with me a newsletter that he sent out on Valentine's Day to the Mixed Race Student Coalition. 
which I'm going to share only a portion of here, but I will actually share the whole thing on Instagram. But basically he addresses, or at least dialing back, uh, you'll notice that this episode is called Being Mixed is a Very Virginian Thing. And that is actually something he says over the course of our interview when he's talking about sort of the history of mixedness in the state of Virginia. UVA is a university that was created by Thomas Jefferson, which if you know the history about Thomas Jefferson, he did have mixed race children. They were born of a woman that he enslaved named Sally Hemings, but his children were actually his slaves. And um, and so there is a history of mixedness in slavery in the early parts of Virginia. And then later on, only 50 years ago, though, in Virginia, there was a case, which I've addressed many times on this show, called Loving versus Virginia, which was the case in which the Loving family, their last name was Loving, petitioned the state to be able to legally be married. They, they already were married. They had three kids at this point. I believe it was three kids. And they were fighting not only for themselves to be able to legally be a couple, but also for the safety of their children, their mixed race children. And this case took place only 53 years ago. To put it in context of why that's not that very long ago, I am 42 years old. I was born 10 years after Loving versus Virginia was won, which it's so wild to say this, but Loving versus Virginia was about the legal right to marry interracially. So legitimizing interracial relationships and by extension, mixed race families. Uh, so he does share with me a an address that went out to the Mixed Race Student Coalition on Valentine's Day, uh, saying that 53 years ago, a case was decided that determined our parents' right to love the way they do, but in a broader lens, the right for us to exist as people, not as a product of a crime. Loving versus Virginia was a case not only about the right for recognition of interracial relationships as a legitimate relationship but also to not assume that all mixed-race children was the, were the subject of rape or generally fornication. Uh, if you want to see the rest of the address, I will put that on Instagram so that you can check that out. But uh, this is something that Jay provided as sort of an extension of what, his, what our discussion was about and of, of sort of his personal motivation in terms of supporting and doing service to his mixed-race community. You'll hear it in his voice. He smiles while he speaks. You cannot help but be affected by him when you're talking. He's, he's thoughtful. He's generous to his community. And I'm so grateful that he took the time to come on the show and that he's been a frequent participant. Like he's, he's participated in every social distancing virtual hangout that we've done so far. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming Jay to the Millicent Lee Mix family. After almost two years, I was smoother in my intros right in the beginning, but I'm not. I'm always like, all right, let's get started. <laughs> yeah, it's all about it. Keep the cash. <laughs> but my guest today is actually one of my frequent guests, I guess, what do we call it, our virtual hangout participants and our virtual hangouts that we've been happening due to uh, coronavirus. And so <laughs> we started the uh, social distancing virtual hangouts a couple of weeks ago to try to connect and make sure that we're keeping our mixed ass lives together while we're in quarantine. And Jay was since the beginning has popped on to 
these calls. So Jay, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are? So my name is Jalen Garant. Um, I usually just go by Jay. I am a current third year at the University of Virginia. And I'm half black, half Filipino, so I'm part of that Blasian squad. Yep. Uh, and my biggest thing in terms of mixedness, I helped start uh, the first ever mixed organization at the University of Virginia called the Mixed Race Student Coalition. And so it's my baby. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. I wish I had thought to do something like this when I was in school. What I did do in high school was, along with another person, I created something called the Agora Group, which was basically a multicultural group, but it wasn't specific to mixed raceness. It was more of like us coming together, people who wanted to talk about culture and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it didn't last for very long. We didn't have a teacher sponsor and all kinds of stuff. So I'm really glad to hear that you have started this organization and that it's, it's working and that you have a legacy plan for when you leave and everything. So let's get into it. First of all, I guess we can start out with kind of what's your... What's your life like, your experience being in Virginia and being mixed? So I am from Roanoke, Virginia, so southwest Virginia, over towards the mountain country. And that's where the nation is definitely a little bit more Caucasian. (laughs) And growing up as a mixed individual and like really sort of like knowing I was mixed since the beginning. So my mom is Filipino, my dad's black. Um, I'm a child out of wedlock. My parents had me when they were in high school. I thank the Lord every day that everything worked out and my parents <laughs> love me so much. Um, and I have two beautiful little sisters. But I so think... you say when, your little sisters are actually quite a bit younger than you. Oh, yeah. So I have two little sisters, one seven and the other's five. Hmm. So it's it's a gap. It's a gap. But <laughs> of course, like my parents being in their 20s, having a son and trying to figure stuff out. Um, it's a lot going on there and especially mom was still going through school and dad joined up with the military. So like, I didn't really have like the most constant parental supervision all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was really in between grandparents, which I realized was a great benefit to like my cultural upbringing. Right. So like I spent a good half of my time with my Filipino half. Um, and then a good half of my time with my black half and like really knowing both parts of that, that, um, and like knowing that I pass as black in many situations, but like at home, I am very Filipino in certain ways, like rice dishes and noodle dishes and making egg rolls, uh, (laughs) lumpia. It's just, it was just so common for me, Mm -hmm. but at the same time being with my black half and knowing the black experience about just like knowing the fixings and like shake and bake chicken and like being and like being there with like my family had a chicken waffles restaurant. So like I knew what black cooking was. Um, But like in terms of growing up with the experience, uh, I definitely knew, especially getting older, like middle school and beyond that I was a, someone that presented black. Um, and Obama 08 happened. And of course, I was all about uh, the election of President Obama. And like, yes, I was like too young to really know what politics was. Mm-hmm. But I knew that this man sort of looked like me. Yes, I am not half black and half white like the president was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still like affirm the fact this man looks more along my line than all of the other men before him. Right, exactly. Um, and like that really vibed with me. And of course, I 
was, of course, a little bit of a target to that. I used to go to a Catholic school growing up, and it was a fantastic education, but I I was the only brown face in the white Mm. place. And, like, of course, the are you a Muslim, Jay? Are you even from here kind of situations happen a lot. And, yeah, that was, like, the first taste of, like, racialized bullying I ever had. And, like, Mm. that's when I, like, knew when I was black. But then, like, growing up and still, like – in rural parts of the country in Appalachia, um, got kicked out of a store before and because people thought I was stealing. Mm. Um, and it was probably because it was racially charged. I got asked whether or not this is my car, whether or mm. not I sold this car. Um, and just see, saw the clan in person before at a young age and like knowing what that meant and like knowing that the clan still exists. Um, yeah. And then, like, growing up even further and, like, getting accepted into college and having a full twist into the University of Virginia, it's amazing. And also knowing for the fact that, like, my mixedness did help me with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, just the way my scholarship program worked out. And But I knew I still performed well in school. Yeah. And I had a little bit of imposter syndrome with that. Like, statistically, I shouldn't be here. But also the pressuring of being half Black, knowing I had to be effective in sports. And like those extracurricular bits, but also being half Asian and having the model minority myth pressured on you Mm -hmm. of like need to do well in academics. And I did well. And then finally coming to Charlottesville and like after the Unite the Right rally was the week prior before move in. And but personally, not that's like super surprised when it happened. Like, of course, Mm -hmm. it was traumatic and was not the safest thing to be a black person or just even a person of color in a place that was so racially charged, but mm-hmm. like me seeing stuff like that growing up, I was just sort of more or less used to it, if that's like the right word to say compared to like saying, my yeah. other peers. Yeah. So, I yeah. same with me. Like I grew up in Long Beach during the early nineties. So it was a lot of the the LAPD had a very terrible reputation for their treatment of black folks. You know, nowadays you hear a lot of people come to L.A. and they're like, I like L.A. because it's it's not racist. And it's like, yo, some of the major riots, racial riots happened here throughout the last 50 years or so. I was there during the L.A. riots. I had to run from my, you know, bus to my house and things like that. Like, you know, there was um, having access to that sort of thing. You do you do just get used to it. You don't know anything different until you're outside of that kind of environment. And then you're like, wait, there's places on this planet where on a regular basis, they're not, you know, harassing people of color or, or whatever. It's a bad, it's not a great thing to be used to, but it's certainly something that happens for sure. What uh, I, I do like that you got a chance. I think grandmothers are our gateway into our cultures in a, in a lot of different ways. So I'm glad that you got a chance to, to grow up with both of them. Did you find ways as a, as a young person to combine your culture? Like, do you have like a crossover food or like a tradition that is kind of similar for both? So you kind of view it as your mixed thing? I think the beautiful thing about Filipinos and black folks, we both love fried chicken. That was always. <laughs> That's how I feel about like, Japanese. <laughs> yeah, it's like we both love fried chicken. So that was always an easy crossover for that. Um, of course, one has rice and other has pie. But <laughs> in terms of like having that like weird crossover between two cultures, I didn't find like like that one thing that really just like be that like bridging item between mm-hmm. like 
my mom's side and my dad's side. I think it's just overall how I grew up and like mm. my, my mentality and things was just sort of the bridge between there. And I think especially I could like, I, I always thought about this, like the cultural intelligence that Asian folks are usually just presented as, but mm-hmm. has slips of truth in that. Like I find that Asians are very, very smart people just looking at my school. Um, but also just, I find just being black is just enduring and just so much endurance with that. Mm-hmm. And like, I think the values of just having endurance, but also just intelligence on how I work and what my parents both taught me about that as just as a unit mm-hmm. and like seeing my parents' marriage together and like, I was the best man at their wedding and that was great. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was just see how well they needed to work together to upbring me. Mm-hmm. And yes, there was like the cultural differences between like, of course, my dad is black and my mom is Filipino, but essentially grew up here in the States because she came here when she was nine. Right. But like how that came together was just sort of like that real bridge for me. And like mm-hmm. knowing that that having that we can't give up sense of ideal was really important because like being a black man in America, my dad will always say, will always be difficult. And right. I think that's honest, true. But mom being an a immigrant because she was born in the Philippines, there, that's another struggle that's altogether that she had a hurdle and be a single mother for a time of being because my dad was deployed mm-hmm. um, because he signed up after 9-11. So mm-hmm. like going through those hurdles as a family and maybe not physically all together, but like being all together Mm -hmm. as a interracial unit was the thing that bridged us. Yeah. I think the, the crossover that you and I have both as products of teen parents and I, I do have a full brother who is five years younger than me, which was a pretty significant age gap for, for having the same parents when you have teenage um, parents or whatever, but we said the same thing. My dad went into the military. So my mom was a single mom for a period of time. They did eventually break up and they remained single parents until my dad got married with, with somebody else. But we, uh, same type of thing, you know, grandmothers were the ones who took care of us and, and showed us how to be, you know, people, I guess, to a degree, and then getting the family united again, and you know, after, after separation from military and everything. So we have a lot of crossover there. I think it's interesting. Um, I, I don't have, I do have half siblings that are as young as in difference of age as yours, but I don't really know them. I don't know them at all, actually. Um, but I, I think this is interesting, like this, this type of thing of keeping your family unit together, even when you're apart and how, and how you still try to do, because I wonder, like, what is it like being Asian in the South? I, you know, I, I mean, my experience in the South, I'm, I was living in Texas and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I was, it was more about me being black mixed than it was about right. me being Asian mixed. Right. So it's really hard to contextualize Virginia, I find, because it's like in certain ways, it's the South. In other ways, it's not the South. And being over here in Southwest Virginia, it's sort of like where the mountain South, which is not like the classic plantation-y aristocracy, like Southern Bell South, which is like a different sort of thing. But I think identifying as just as somewhat of an Asian person, because being half Asian, it was just never really addressed too much growing up because people just really saw me as black or like, are you Hawaiian, Jay? Or are you Spanish? Or like, 
that kind of like Asian was not necessarily the first thing that came to mind because Filipinos don't look like your stereotypical pale Asian. Right. Partly um, because like being Filipino is essentially being mixed in so many ways mm-hmm. because of like the colonizers of the Spanish, the American influence, and of course, a lot of the Chinese and native descent that is mm-hmm. present in the Philippines. Uh, so like growing up with being Asian in the household, like making rice, having like spam and rice as like a staple for us. Right. Uh, rolling um, egg rolls, lumpia, and like eating adobo with rice was like, was such a common thing for me, but it wasn't really something that was like really present mm-hmm. per se in my like community. There was like a Filipino like community organization within my hometown. Sure. Um, but there was like drama within that with like my family and like other families. So we just like <laughs> okay. yeeted all out there. Um, but like still having that identifier fact of like, I, have Filipino heritage and I respect my Filipino heritage and I love that. And like that reinforced when I visited the Philippines when I was like 12, uh, was really important for like my development into that aspect. Are you obviously Filipino to other Filipinos? Um, okay. So my really only react like interaction with other like Filipinos is at school. It's like at school Um, and at UVA. I'm part of the organization Young Filipino Americans at the University of Virginia. And like in terms of like obviously Filipino, there's not really like I find a litmus test of like you're Filipino and you're not. And it's not really like who is more or who is less, I think is really the appreciation of the culture that is really important. Mm -hmm. But I think in the conversations like, knowing the subtle Asian things Mm -hmm. and like also like what's your favorite Filipino food or just like being a young Philippine American adult here in the States was like really the bonder thing. Mm -hmm. And like how I re like interacted, like everyone knew I was mixed and I presented as mixed Mm -hmm. and, but no one had a problem and everyone still. I guess what I'm I'm asking is like, you know, about the nod, the head nod that you Mm -hmm. have as a black person and when your blackness is identified, even for us that are mixed, you know, we get the nod or whatever and we feel, you know, seen Mm -hmm. and validated or anything like that. I'm not sure if there is, I know there's not really a Japanese equivalent to that. You know, there's more of like, I notice a Japanese person over a Chinese or a Korean or, you know, that kind of thing um, based off of phenotype and, and stuff like that. But is there a... Filipino version of the nod like is there something is it nod maybe not not so much like a walking down the street the nod but like maybe they catch you rolling you know you're at a cultural event you're they catch you rolling lumpia and they're like oh okay you know like do you have oh a nod like that in some way yeah so I think like the subtle expressions that like is shared across Filipinos of like you point with your lips it's like "Mm," and like yes I know that Yeah, I know that one. Or the feeling of like, like just a little pit, the like little blow whisper thing of, the, mm-hmm. of like beckoning someone over. Or like, I think the word arai when something like not your way ha- has happened. Um, or you like, you stub your toe really, really hard or something like that. Okay. Um, I think that's like equivalent of like this person. I like has Filipino and identifies in Filipino in some mm-hmm. way. It'll raise I found at school. Um, 
And I think like, of course, there's nothing as truly as obvious as I do to nod all the time for being mm-hmm. a black person, like at yeah. school, like when I walk into the bomber shop, you just <laughs> gotta, gotta dap people up and gotta do the nod. Um, but like, I think for me, I just didn't grow up with a lot of Filipinos around me mm-hmm. to really like know what is like the true, like not equivalent right. of like someone that you don't really know at all and like right. really not get to know because like I could be walking down the street as a black person, but you give another black person a nod, you won't see them ever again, but you do the you nod. You just shared that moment, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing uh, really for me for Filipinos. It would be, so here in California, we have a, a number of large pockets of Filipino community. So I wonder if we picked you up and planted you in there, or got you to walk around for a few minutes if you, if you got a little bit of that, because we have, we, you know, well, especially LA, we pretty much have all of the cultural groups and it, they remain segmented. Like we have two Japan towns. I don't like saying that, but that's what they call them. Uh, the Chinatowns and um, we, things like that. I don't know what, what they call I know that there are a community like, that maintains Filipino, but I don't know what they name like it. Like Little here. Manoa kind of level? Something like that. You know, we have we have like a little Armenia. We have all of the littles all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like the the where I live, I live two blocks away from what's referred to as Little Osaka. But right. if you look at the signs outside, it'll say like an extension of Japantown. And then Japantown is actually on the other side by downtown, which is actually Little Tokyo. So I don't know why specifically the smaller one got Little Osaka, if it's just because it's, you know, Little Tokyo was taken or whatever. But um, like my, basically my neighborhood is just full of ramen houses. And so that's why it got to be called. Yo, that's Osaka. good food though. That's, that's good <laughs> oh, it's great living this close to a Japanese community. Cause then when I was growing up, I was, you know, we've talked on the, on the group chats, I was isolated from other Japanese, like my Japanese family, I got to be around, but when we were out in public and there was other Japanese around, I was a friend, like we were always like a visiting friend. If someone saw me with my grandmother, if they didn't know my mom and and things like that, because to, to know, to know that I was my grandmother's granddaughter, they would know a couple things. One, that my mother was a teenager and two, potentially that I was black. So to keep it, secret i was a fr- i was always a friend's kid a visiting friend or something like that if they saw me right. in the japanese community so this is the first time i've gotten to like actively live near a japanese community and even though i don't have bonds here specifically the fact that i get to go to a japanese grocery store or go to the ramen houses and things like that you know it gives me that feel and also i in- i instantly code switch into japanese when i when I go, you know, my body language changes and everything like right. that. My husband has pointed out me being in the store, like I'm at the check stand and all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm speaking with sounds and not words because a lot of what we say is like, mm, mm, you know, like a lot of, you know, kind of like the, the pointing thing that you do with your, your lips. We have kind of a, mm, you know, it's just like a quick little yeah. bow nod type of thing or whatever. Um, so I, it's nice to get a chance to, to do that because predominantly I've always lived in black neighborhoods or the time that I have lived in white suburbs and right. So it's a little bit of that touchstone. I, I don't know if there is a Japanese equivalent to like, like, I don't know if like a full Japanese sees a full Japanese in a place where like maybe they're surrounded by other Asians and they're mm. just like, oh, a Japanese. I never get that experience. I never get to have that experience. So I don't know. What, <laughs> yeah. What Filipinos are pretty like, we're like the, the easier, one of the easier ones I find to spot out mm-hmm. in a crowd of like you're ambiguously Asian or you're like you're Asian Spanish. And like the hub of Filipinos I find here in, on the East Coast is over by Norfolk. 
um, mm-hmm. over at Virginia Beach slash New York. And like, of course, like Virginia Beach is in Virginia. So a lot of state, in-state students who are Filipino go to UVA. Um, so that's where I learned a lot of my culture. Like, for example, there's a Jollibee over in Virginia Beach. That means there's a critical mass of Filipinos present um, right. for that to actually exist. But I think like going back home and growing up with not really that amassing, but like growing up in a white neighborhood as the biggest aspect of the reason why I don't really have a cultural accent at all. Like you cannot tell on a telephone if I was black or if I was Asian or whatever um, was the fact like, of course, I went to a predominantly white school growing Mm -hmm. up. Um, I watched a lot of television (laughs) when I was growing up. Um, and like, I heard my family members speak, but it wasn't really something for me to really learn how to speak like Tagalog, Mm -hmm. for example, it was just never really taught to me. And I don't think that was anyone's fault. I think we were all just trying to get by. Do you code switch into the accent though, when you're referring, like, let's say you're talking to cousins and and you want to mimic your grandmother. Do you switch into that with your family uh, or something like that? I do for sure. And (laughs) I know I do. Um, and like, I find it's just very interesting how easily I like code switch within the communities I'm in. Like, for example, I definitely have a more like African-American syntax if I'm in the room full of black people. Mm -hmm. Of course, the black phenomena of like, you don't want to be the whitest black person in the room. Right. Sort of that happens. Um, but also in like Asian communities, like when I'm in like my organization at school, I definitely have a like more classic Filipino choppy mm. kind of like syntax. Right. And it just sort of weirdly happens. Yeah, and, we don't we don't know that we're doing it. We just do it. Yeah. And like when I'm back here at home, like even just between being at home, being in the community of home and then being at school, my voice changes a ton. Right. Because like if I'm in the country up in the hills, of course, I'm going to sound like I'm from the country compared to if I like I'm at school or most people are like from the city or the suburbs of Northern Virginia. I'm just like, you can't tell where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, I think that was that was a lot of hard work for me. I definitely had I've, I've said to you before, like I definitely had a hood accent. And it took me like it took me about three years to shake it. To, to get it all the way out. And then once, you know, I can fall into it the second I'm talking to somebody or whatever, and you know, hood recognizes hood usually. So usually yeah. it's it, we get, we see each other from across the room, we get it, but this is the voice that I now use because it's the voice that I use to be business professional or whatever. I hate that it is often the voice that comes out uh, until I'm talking to someone and then I get to feel a little bit more natural or whatever, but it's just like, uh, Laura Lee on a, another episode that's going to pop up soon, Laura Lee says something about um, the mask becomes the the real, she was quoting someone, I forget who she's quoting, but that was really the thing. It was like this effort to make this voice be what it is. And now right. it is actually the voice I use more often because I've been away from home for so long, mm-hmm. uh, which is weird because I'm only yeah. about 45 minutes away if I, if I were to drive down to it, but I'm so different now. So going in there, like walking around my old neighborhood, which I did a couple years ago, I I brought my husband and a friend down to my old neighborhood and walking around, like I felt like oddly like a foreigner in my own space, because like, Mm -hmm. I remember all these spaces and all these people that were in this area. But at the same time, I had been there so long, I didn't feel I was that was when I was actually more conscious of the way that I spoke, because I'm like, if I put on my accent, they'll know I'm from here. 
but will they, then they'll know I haven't been here and then they'll think I'm a fake. And you know, like it was like <laughs> going back and forth to get through it. But now I guess I'm just, you know, living my mixed ass life and code switching when it's time to code switch. And, you're and right. there it is. You're right. So what happens when you're at UVA and you're looking around for that cultural connection in terms of mixedness that gets you to starting the the coalition? So I think it all, of course, like the turbulent year of 2017 of August 11th and the 12th of Unite to Right rally. So your freshman year was following that event. My move in was the week after. Okay. So it was was fresh. Um, Wow. And I think like coming to terms to myself, of course, like not really knowing my like surroundings at all, like the whole like I'm a freshman in this space. I'm actually on my own for mm-hmm. once in my life. Um, I just sort of like had this situation like it wasn't the most like safest thing that I thought to be black right. at that moment. Right. Um, like I always kept a, like a multi tool with a knife function in my backpack. Um, ma- mainly because I go on hikes a lot and that's mm. just like my thing, but also knowing the secondary fact of if I need to protect myself, I need to protect myself. And, um, and like, of course, like before moving in, my dad set me down, my dad, who's black for the talk, of course, of being a young black male. Um, and like, I always appreciate that, of like knowing that I, life is always going to be hard. Life is going to be right. hard. Um, and of course it was. I think coming to UVA and just like trying to find more of that Filipino um, was like a prerogative for me and like really got into like that Filipino-ness I never really had touched in, in terms of that overtness of outside my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it so much. And then as I went on, I actually joined a fraternity um, because I needed guy friends because I'm a nursing student. So there's not a lot of guys in the program. <laughs> so I needed to join a frat. To, I told myself because I needed to be with the boys. Um, but I think it was all triggering after one night I had a confrontation with the police and almost was shot by one. And like knowing like okay. inherently that I would not necessarily get justice if I were to die um right. wouldn't was was terrifying of course and uh in like the story that went down I was walking home from my fraternity and I was sober and like I did not have dark clothing I was just wearing a UVA hoodie that was gray and some jeans so like whatever um there was this girl who was really intoxicated inside the road and of course my nurse mentality wanted to be right. a good person and help someone out and get her home but then um trying to talk to her and see if she was all right and like good Samaritan things. Right. Um, but then a cop was starting to yell at me and then told me to get away. And I was trying to explain myself like a young adult, um, but then pulled out a pistol. And of course, like the whole don't shoot um, happened and just like went home, of course, shaking up. Um, never reported anything, but like, it's just, it is what it is. Uh, but I think after that triggering moment, I had that realization of like, I am still a young black man in America. Mm-hmm. And what that means is what people want to say what that means. Like, will I be perceived as dangerous? Mm-hmm. Will I be perceived as confrontational, intimidating, not as intelligent as I actually am? Um, and like a lot of things I've been really trying to avoid over just that freshman year and even including high school of like why I have this voice mm-hmm. of like not sounding like, black or just not sounding hood 
mm-hmm. and having that like imposter approach to things mm-hmm. and like over to like over the summer and then the following semester uh, me and some friends and just like thinking I cannot be the only one with right. this problem of like knowing that I am both like I am both Asian in terms of being Filipino but I am also a young black person in America so it all came to a head in the fact that I had I found friends who also identified and had these conversations with themselves like what am I and like where are my people at right mm-hmm. um in terms of being a mixed person at UVA and like I did my research like UVA is almost 3% mixed and of course these statistics are growing um mixed people are one of the highest growing populations of natural order and seeing more and more interracial couples not necessarily at my school but just in general mm-hmm. was like showing the fact that the student body will eventually reflect that since also UVA is a public institution. Right. So it was me just taking upon myself and having this conversation with groups of people. It was like, it was a matter of when, not if, mm-hmm. that something like this was going to happen. Because like, of course, like the first oldest cultural organization was the, um, the Black Student Alliance because mm-hmm. like black folks were always here. Um, then it was the Asian organizations, the numerous staff, of, of them there were and then of course now the latinx population really getting ahead of the game then i was just trying to have that answer of just like finding that place for young adults who are still trying to figure themselves out through mm-hmm. college about where are there other people that share a similar story of mixedness like mm-hmm. i know there's not a lot of black filipinos out there and i knew that going in also knew that going in like school but i grew up with some because of the military aspect right. but if you're not in a military base area you may not mm-hmm. grow up with them yeah like the only highest density of like half black half filipinos i've seen was when i went to the philippines and like around the U.S. base, right? Um, and like we all know what that means. <laughs> but um, like coming to school, coming into my sophomore year, my second year, and like eventually having like a written out constitution and a, a Zec board who are all on the same page together about wanting to do this—that's different—and be a servant to a community of people who've never been served before, because they they may or may not identify with their mixedness. Right, was important, and like now where we are now one year later is so of course ironing out things because we're fresh, but having the confidence and relief that people are getting comfortable with their mixedness and like are appreciative of that fact. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm so excited that, that you actually, that the team of you, I guess, had that initiative too, because you could have just sat there in isolation like many of us do because we don't think, I mean, that's part of the imposter syndrome, right? Who am I? to do this thing, you know, just because I'm missing this thing. Uh, It was me with press and record on Militantly Mixed. I thought I had Militantly Mixed handle social media handles for two years before I press record for the first time, you know? Um, And I imagine you too, just like, I can't be the only one, but am I the one to do this thing for us? You know, right? Right. is is a pretty big deal. I'm glad you did that. So how did you find other people to participate with you? How how did that start? (laughs) So I like sort of roped in my immediate friend group. Um, And like, of course, that's just a way you start. Um, Mm -hmm. But like the way I found, like, I'd say my exec team was just like 
asking Facebook groups or just people that I know in the community about like, what is it to me to be mixed? What is it to be mixed race, mixed ethnicity, like the whole topic of that. And also like UVA being a place to have that conversation because Thomas Jefferson um, had mixed kids and like there's so much history behind that too. So like a very appropriate UVA talking point. And like the way that we went together uh, in terms of like having a team and a foundation, a community was just a lot of just gassing each other up, up and defining our why. And when I talked to my exec team, everyone will just say like, Jay, you are the person with the why, because I may not be the best necessarily in terms of like organizing everything or like advocacy stuff. I'm just a nursing student. Mm-hmm. I love that. I can't wait to go into uh, healthcare, um, especially with everything's heated right now. Right. But like it all comes to this foundation ahead. I just want to have a community based around the people, not necessarily based around just getting to the end of something. Right. Like, like many of my like uh, associated groups at school are trying to get to a end point of something. But I just want to have really the sense of community. And the way I found my other voices was going in my community and looking for them. Mm-hmm. Or they just came too, no, because just, I have people that show up as well. <laughs> I mean, you were one who just showed up on the Militantly Mixed uh, group chat for the first time too. Like we hadn't engaged beforehand. And, and I, I know every time... It's not getting old for me, but every time someone new pops up, I'm like, how did you even find, you know, because I know what efforts I've put out to put it out there. But at the same time, I don't know how people are finding necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm not able to trace it as well, especially through like Facebook analytics or anything like that. I don't really have that uh, happening. So, uh, you know, I always sit there and wonder, like, how did you find me? And all the time, the story is the same. It's like three o'clock in the morning. I was feeling really down about being in isolation as a mixed person. I started Googling and boom, I found you. Uh, I imagine with students, it's probably the same thing. Like, is my school, my school caters to all these cultural things. Is my school thinking about something mixed wise? Um, Right. And you can imagine like, even within our ethnic groups, our separate ethnic groups, they're not often thinking about the effects of the mixed versions of, you know, like probably some more than the other. I think black folks think about us more often because it's hard to avoid because of our history here in America. Um, But in other parts of the world, maybe not as much. Or, um, and sometimes we're that dirty little secret in somebody's family and, you know, things like that. So it gets a little bit hard, but on the Asian side, it's not really obviously pushed very much. I mean, maybe it is a little bit different for Filipinos than, than Japanese, but with Japanese, it's just like, oh, don't tell anybody, you know, it's still there. It's still at that don't tell anybody place. Um, so it's, it's good that you were able to find those people. Do you find what are your meetings like? Do you, when, when you get together as a group, is that, is it more of that community? I just need someone to commiserate stuff or is it like actively trying to find more? What, what is, what is your. I think like our general body meetings were, is just a lot of just discussions and tackling the question of like what it means to be mixed mm-hmm. and being a young mixed person in America. And like, having discussions of just like identity and like, when did we know that we are mixed? Like, how does our mixture come out? I love that And question. like, how does that influence our day to day? And of course, like how it relates more to just how it relates here at this university, 
being mixed is a very Virginian thing because of a loving versus Virginia that happened yeah. uh, 43 years ago. And I like during a Valentine's day, I sent an address about like how we weren't technically legal mm-hmm. per se less than 50 years ago. And right. it's crazy to think about that. I'm like, 10 years later. I'm 10 years after long, loving versus Virginia. Yeah. Like my parents just entered around their forties. So like, it's, crazy to think how this concept of like mixed people has have always been a part of the american fabric mm-hmm. but it's not until till the coming century that they were identified as people as legitimate people not necessarily a product of rape right so so like in terms of having that sense of community and sense of history and i have a faculty advisor who had a lecture in his class about like mixed matters and how what it means to be a mixed person in higher education and he's half black half white and it was felt so interesting mm. to talk to someone who teaches as faculty at my school that's been through all the hurdles right. of being a mixed person at in higher education in that face-to-face interaction right. because i never really met someone face to face older than me true like mm. truly older than me mm. until that moment oh wow so all of a sudden you had an uncle to kind of look up to in this where you didn't even know you were probably needing somebody like that until you got to see somebody like that yeah he, he is my advisor of course like university life is all over the place right now Mm -hmm. um and we're scrambling trying to figure stuff out as an organization because Mm -hmm. like we're still students at the end of the day dealing with this Mm -hmm. um but like it felt like comforting to know that we have faculty support that we are in the system to capacity like other organizations within UVA that are multicultural, ident- like recognize us as a legitimate organization awesome. and have and we have conversations with them because like in my general body, I have connections to every single other cultural group mm-hmm. on grounds because of like they still have a mono-ethnic organization attributed to somewhere, some part of their mix. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, they... Are you finding ways in this quarantine time period, like, are you doing virtual hangouts with your group? Are you trying to find that sort of thing? Are people feeling like they're all out there in the world by themselves? Uh, I think what we're trying to do, of course, stay connected through our group me's, and then we still send out articles every Thursday through our newsletter. My secretary's awesome by that. And like still identifying like the things that makes people mix and like how does media portray mixed people and like trying to really push our campaign of like somewhat of like a humans New York platform of like okay. being mixed at UVA and like the power of the personal narrative because awesome. coming in I knew for the fact that it's hard the group people together who all have very, very different experiences of being mixed, but at the same time have the similarity of being mixed Mm -hmm. like like we all look at each other and we know that our parents don't look the same right and that's something to bond over and like something to share and laugh about and have a sense of home Mm -hmm. and like being told like told to by like incoming freshmen in first years that like jay this is really really cool i didn't know something like this existed is what really keeps me going about why is this important 
Yes, I know that feeling. I know that moment because of militantly mixed. And I swear, there's nothing you could do but sit there and grin like an idiot because you're just like, I know because I needed it. That's why this is a thing. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm completely impressed that you're doing it at such a young age. I think what you're doing is so important, not just for yourself and your own growth, but for the people that are there. And I, you know, I hope you sit in that credit a little bit. You know, I know you're doing it with a team, but I think also like within the team and within the individuals that are participating in that team, you know, your value is so important what you're giving other students the opportunity to connect with. I know, you know, since you have participated in the, in the group virtual chats, you, you see how it doesn't matter how old we are, you know, or what backgrounds we have. We all have some kind of crossover and some sort of sense of we could be there for each other despite where we come from and what our ethnic groups are. Like, you know, we, we found a way to crack it in our mixedness that, you know, hopefully we will find a way to teach the others <laughs> how, to, how to do and get along. So I'm, I'm, even though I'm never going to be a student at UVA and I won't be able to experience it as a student, knowing that it's out there and existing for, for a younger generation, that you're setting up a legacy plan for when you move on, I, it, it's just so important because I know we, I, I didn't have anything like that and, and that you're providing that for other people is so important. And I, I can't wait to see what its future is like. Before we wrap up though, Mm-hmm. I always ask everybody on the show, you know, what's the most important thing or what's the, what's your favorite aspect of being mixed? I know everybody kind of has a different reaction or feel mm-hmm. to it or whatever. I'm starting to see it's an impact on people. Uh, but what would be your favorite thing about being mixed race? I think my favorite thing about being ma- mixed race so far in my life of how short it's been is the fact that like you're just transcending just different worlds mm-hmm. and like having that true figuring out like defining yourself beyond your skin color like the way i always see that like some everyone fits on a spectrum of how they identify in so many ways like being this percent of this and this percent of that um, and I think just in terms of the fluidity of just racially identifying and ethnically mm-hmm. identifying is something I find very tremendous to myself. Like, like the joy of being mixed for me and no matter how the hardships that were happening, like got turned down from dates for being mixed one way or the other way right. or just for looking black and like, yeah, that sucks. But in terms of like what I'm proud about as a mixed person is just knowing that like there's something unique and something special in the experience and i'm not saying the experience is just uh, like all butterflies and rainbows it's not but i'm not saying the experience is the end of the world and that's the end of the line Mm -hmm. because i think it brings such a unique perspective no matter at what point of your life that you are and no matter how much of a percentage of a spectrum that you identify it's something that's part of you. Yeah. And I think having something that's a part of you and knowing it's a part of you is something that you have control and ownership of. And that's what I feel like a lot of people like strive for in life is that ownership. Right. You make me so happy to talk to you. I can't say like besides I know nobody can see you or anything like that, but you can hear it in your voice. You have a very smiley sound to your voice, but that's because you're grinning from ear to ear the entire time you're talking. Like you, you, you are just like ex- exuding joy while while we get a chance to talk. So I really appreciate that about you. I think, I, think, yeah, I just love you so much. Um, 
you like when I see your name popping up on the group chat now, I'm like, oh, yay, he's coming back. You know, like you're just a person that I'm so excited about. I'm excited to see what your future holds as I guess mix auntie main at the moment. I'll be mix auntie main. Just like seeing like, <laughs> you know, seeing a, a young mixed boy getting out there in the world, becoming a man and everything like that. I, I can't wait to see what your life is going to be like. I'm so glad that you joined Militantly Mix and you're participating and sharing your story with everybody. I appreciate it so much. But why don't you tell everybody how to find you and or the organization if you want to share the handles for all of that. And I will go ahead and put that in the show notes as well. But why don't you tell everybody how they can find you? Of course. So my name is Jalen Garant. Um, you can find my organization, Mixed Race Student Coalition at UVA is our Facebook handle and find us on Instagram at MRSC at UVA uh, for our Instagram. And of course, just reach out for any questions. And I want to get connected to any other young folks out there about just being young and mixed and beautiful. Um, right. Thank you so much, Charmaine. I really appreciated this. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash Militantly Mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash Militantly Mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.